0: This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald.
1: I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia.
0: Well, always good conversation. Just had one. Gonna move into another one. Margaret Weldon, Kelly McDonald. We are the hosts of the program today. And, Margaret, for you, been with the show for so long and uh, appreciate the time you've put in as a co host, a contributor to the program, six years of the show, and us moving to television shortly, as well as being simulcast on AMI Audio. It's very exciting. Um, but I think there's a couple of things I really do enjoy about my job. Uh, it's the fact that I can help people and get answers to their questions, and the fact that I can bring both of my families, like my home family and my AMI family, together. What I'm really impressed with, especially with our team, it's how you guys communicate with contributors, with guests, and most of all, with each other. Keep it up and lots of luck. That's Thank you, have. Margaret. Fantastic. And we're going to move from Margaret to another uh, day oneer here with the program as we get into talking Know Your Rights with Danielle McLaughlin.
1: Let's examine questions that can't be answered by a simple yes or no. Join me, Danielle McLaughlin, when we talk about how freedoms collide on Know Your Rights.
0: Danielle, welcome back to the program.
1: Well, thank you. And Kelly, like you, today is my sixth anniversary uh, on the show as the Know Your Rights contributor to Kelly and Company, Uh Six of of the happiest years ever, I have to say. I have been so fortunate to talk with so many experts and fascinating guests, as well as with the wonderful hosts and co-hosts, Kelly, Ramya, Brock and Margaret. Today, I am delighted to be joined again by my former colleague and my dear friend, Noah Mendelssohn-Aviv. Noah is now the Executive Director and General Counsel of the Canadian Civil Liberties Association Noah, welcome back. Thank you, Danielle, it's wonderful to be back. That's super. So, you know, often I remember many, over many years, people saying, well, why does a democracy like ours, Canada, need a civil liberties organization? And how do you answer that question when it's put to you?
2: uh, It's an interesting question, I mean, in order to make sure that we remain a democracy, in order to make sure that we remain firm in our protection of rights and freedoms, we need somebody to watch that those freedoms are in fact being protected, to move things forward, to make sure that the right decisions are being made and that somebody is there to hold the government to account when they make mistakes or bad decisions, when they prioritize the wrong interests too much, because there are so many balances and nuances that have to be considered when there's unconscious bias, systemic discrimination and overemphasis on some rights or interests over others, there's lack of information, there's lack of accountability. I could go on, but I'll give you an example. If you look at the Emergencies Act, the government in February decided to invoke this act and take for itself this enormous, you know, some call it a nuclear power which allows the government without asking parliament for permission to make laws without the ordinary democratic process, without representation, transparency, and accountability. And CCLA, as an independent organization, is watching what the government's doing. So we were there and said, there is a problem here with invoking the Emergencies Act. We demanded that they end the state of emergency, and and who else can watch the government? So every country, to protect its democracy, to protect its rights, needs an independent national watchdog. That's essentially what we are.
1: So, a, a watchdog is a, is an important animal to have in a democracy. And a, and no matter who's in power, um, organizations like CCLA are, are going to continue in that role, which I believe is so critical. And when you, you brought up the Emergencies Act, uh, we've been hearing a lot about it on most of the media. And uh, many of us listened to uh, CCLA's Kara Zwiebel making a presentation to that inquiry. Can you tell us about the position that CCLA has taken on the use of this controversial legislation? The reason I'm asking this is because so many people have said, well, what's the problem? It worked. So how do you respond to to that? How does CCLA view the use of this legislation?
2: Well, the Emergencies Act is a law that gives the government power, the executive branch of the government power, without asking all the democratically elected representatives, only those that are sitting in power. It it allows the government to give itself the power to make other laws without asking the other representatives, without transparency, without accountability. And therefore, this massive power is only permitted under very, very strict conditions. And CCLA, the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, says those conditions were not met. The law, for example, says you can only invoke it in the case of an emergency that is defined as being a serious danger to someone's life or safety or a serious threat to Canada and when there is no other democratically created law that's available to deal with the situation. So that's the first thing that we say, that that those conditions actually were not met in February. And secondly... Having given itself this massive power to make laws on its own, bypassing the democratic process, the ordinary democratic process, the government then created sweeping emergency orders, these new laws that it could do on its own, that violated individual rights to gather, to to go in the direction of certain kinds of gatherings. They froze bank accounts. They, They violated countless people's privacy, asking banks and other financial institutions to send information to Canada's security agencies on the basis of suspicions and and thoughts. so They were sweeping powers. They were sweeping violations right across the country, coast to coast to coast, never mind that the issue that they were trying to deal with was a difficult and big, but in some ways ordinary law enforcement issue in Ottawa that just required them to bring in other police services that required them to you know, bring in tow truck drivers. And they could have done that using ordinary laws. So I think the main point is that in a functional country, everyone has to obey the law, including our government. And the test to use the emergency powers is strict for a reason. It can only be used in extreme circumstances for a reason because it hands huge powers to government, and that's dangerous for all of us.
1: That's really important. I think some people, you know... While a, a cannon might work well as a fly swatter, try using the fly swatter. And I, I think that, that we, we, we've we really seen that, uh, you know, it, while it works, it doesn't mean that it's the right thing to do. So I think we, we really okay. do need to think hard and, and, and listen to all, all the people who are being, uh, who are, uh, you know, testifying at, at this inquiry. Um, Can I
0: ask a question, Danielle? Is, yes, is okay? of course. Yeah? Thank you so much. Um, and I, and I don't mean to be like competitive, understand that, but what would you like to have, how would you like to have seen the situation handled differently? And I'm asking this because I heard endless amounts of stories, as I'm sure many of you have about how, you know, people couldn't get out of their homes or, you know, people with disabilities couldn't get to appointments or couldn't get their food delivered to them from grocery services and that. So, like, what would you like to have seen happen? What would have been the ideal solution for you, Noah?
2: I'm so glad you asked that question because, in addition to what you said, there were other stories that we heard about harassment and intimidation, and and, and in some cases threats, and in some cases even worse uh, against a variety of different racialized and marginalized groups. Uh, you know, there were there was there was a variety of sort of racist, homophobic kind of threat and intimidation that was that was hanging in the air, and that, and that people felt very concerned, and we're very concerned about it, and and equality is a very important issue for us. That doesn't change the fact that we don't want this government or any future government in any other circumstance against any other group to be using the cannon, the nuclear power. Um, we would have liked them to use law enforcement powers. We would have liked them to bring in other police officers to Ottawa, not not create sweeping orders across the whole country, but to bring in other police services and take apart the occupation. We we know that protest is very important to many, many, many different groups in this country, and we stand up for the right to protest. Uh, we know that protest sometimes is disruptive, but when you get to an occupation that's taken place for, you know, three weeks at that point, and has taken over the city streets, and people are, and, and especially marginalized communities are feeling unsafe, there is no question that that occupation needed to be taken apart. Police services across the country know how to do this; they've done it. They they do it during mass demonstrations. On a somewhat regular basis, that's what that's what we would have liked to see happen. Not turning over people's private financial information and so forth, and not use of an act that could normalize using emergency powers. And we don't want that, not for this government and not for any future government.
1: So, in other words, you're we're thinking that perhaps there was a, a failure of policing. They they could have done something. They just did not do it. And using the Emergencies Act. Again, a cannon where a fly swatter might have sufficed. But, you know, we're still left with that question uh, that people have said, well, you know, it worked and nobody was doing anything else. So this is going to remain a controversial question, Margaret. I think you've asked it very, very appropriately. Thank you. Um, no problem.
0: No, cease- Yeah,
1: go ahead. Because there's
0: one thing. Um, because there's like, I mean, and I think the governments in a way contradict themselves too, because I can't tell you how many times I've heard our premier say it and, and our prime minister, quote unquote, we cannot tell the police what to do. So like, is it like, this is kind of a double standard, I guess, right from like from from a, I guess, from all points of view, right? Like the government on one hand says, no, we can't tell the police what to do, but all of a sudden they can jump in. Yeah, um, yeah no, I, want don't, to speak I don't to think that? it's about.
2: Yeah, I mean I don't I don't want to get into it because this is exactly what's coming out of the Commission of Inquiry. So because the emergency the Emergencies Act gives government these enormous powers, one of the things that was built in, so just a brief moment in history, before there was an emergencies act, there was a different emergency law called the War Measures Act. And in 1970, the government of Canada invoked the War Measures Act and declared a state of emergency in Canada. And then too, the Canadian Civil Liberties Association stood up and said, "You've gone too far. You, you want to take action against a crisis that's going on at the FLQ in Quebec? Yes, take action by all means, but you, but you don't need to use this power, which which is which is which is going it's going far. It's going too far. When they when the War Measures Act was replaced by this current Emergencies Act, an act that has never been used, by the way, in those 32 years." Uh, 52 unit, 52, whatever. In the, a in long decades, time. It's <laughs> yeah. a long time since it was created. Yeah. Um, it, the, the terms that were put in were made strictly because people saw how it went wrong with the War Measures Act. And one of those requirements was, if you use it, there has to be a public inquiry at the end. That's what's happening right now in Ottawa. That's where you're seeing my colleague Kara Zwiebel on the news, uh, where you're seeing her ask questions of witnesses who were there, with seeing her examine policing. So there are a lot of complex questions about how police work together. It It is absolutely true that it would be dangerous for politicians to be directing police. But bringing in additional reinforcements, that happens all the time. It happened when there was a G20, and it happens when there are other gatherings of police officers. They bring in other police services. That doesn't mean that they're directing the police forces. They're just making sure that there are enough bodies on the ground to deal with large and complex situations,
1: and I think yeah, that it's it's difficult to, to sort of see how uh, politicians make policy, but they can't uh, you know tell the police how how to deliver those policies, how to operate. Um, at, but once the policy is made, and one of the policies is probably you do not allow your city to be blockaded for uh, weeks and weeks at a time. That would be a policy made by government. Um, It's up to the police to then enforce this policy. If they fail to enforce the policy, we've got some questions to ask. And I think that's what's happening right now.
2: And most police services should be governed by, not directly by politicians, even at the policy setting level, but by an independent oversight body, like a police services board. And they're the ones who are determining the specific policies under which those police services are running in order to create that arm's length from the politicians.
1: For sure. I'd like to move on to uh, looking at um, issues around privacy. Now, a, a few weeks ago, we had CCLA's Brenda McPhail joining us on this show earlier this month, in fact, and she was speaking about facial recognition technology Will CCLA be continuing to focus on other privacy issues uh, in in the weeks and months to come?
2: Absolutely. Brenda is hard at work on a number of different projects, cutting-edge research, uh, responding to to situations on the ground as they come up. Uh, She has a great deal of public engagement. She's currently focused on two federal bills that have come out, C-26 and C-27, the first dealing with cybersecurity and the second with what's called the Consumer Privacy uh, Project. to consumer privacy privacy protection. Uh, She's doing a great deal of work on facial recognition. She's looking at the use of spyware. CCLA is deeply, oh, there's a virtual healthcare um, privacy question. CCLA is very engaged on privacy and on all other aspects of fundamental civil liberties that are happening in Canada. We have a number of programs that go very deeply into uh, civil liberties of, of many, many different
1: kinds. That's, so there's lots of work to be done there, I'm sure. Um, you have spoken on uh, Kelly and Company a number of times, Noah, about Bill 21 in Quebec. Um, and that was back when you were the director of the Equality Program. And, um, but now you're uh, the general counsel and the executive director. What's happening with Bill Twenty One, and uh, also on the equality fronts? Uh, sorry, on the equality rights front at the moment.
2: Yeah, your your, your question could not be more timely, Danielle. Bill Twenty One is actually going to be heard at the Quebec Court of Appeal next week. It's starting on November seventh, and we are going to be there. And we hope that this time the court will strike it down. This law has caused enormous harm and hardship to. Muslim women in particular, and to other women and to other members of minority groups who are uh, from minority religions, um, many of whom are racialized and come from um, immigrant communities. If you, um, if you ask, and that you know, it's been almost three years now, if you uh, ask me as well about the other equality rights work that's going on. Uh, one of the very exciting things that happened last week was the culmination of decades of work for the Canadian Civil Liberties Association and for many other groups that have been fighting racial profiling by police in the way that they conduct traffic stops. So there's a phenomenon uh, there's a phenomenon in which police were given the power for for decades to yes,
1: I'm rea- stop no, drivers, I'm- yeah, I really would love to hear more, and in fact, I think I may well bring you or your new Equality Rights Director on to tell us more about that in the near future, but sadly, we have run out of time. But thank you so much. That was my friend and our guest, Noah Mendelssohn aviv Executive Director and General Counsel of the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, speaking with us about why and how Canada needs to strengthen its democracy and how it uses civil liberties organizations to do it.
0: Thank you very much. Awesome segment. We'll step aside for a couple of moments. Danielle will be back next week with Know Your Rights. We'll return in a moment. I'm Margaret Shepherd of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host, Alex Hadjar, and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.